We're going to continue a series that we began several months ago. And uh, first I want to say welcome. And uh, I hope that uh, this is a time of encouragement and challenge uh, and greater understanding from God's Word. That is our goal, is to uh, read the Scriptures and to present what we see there. Now recently we've been doing a topical study, but of course still... But what comes out of a topical study is coming from the Word of God, we trust. And so that's the intent to, to, uh, to the message today. I hope that what is said today will both be encouraging and exhorting. What I mean by that is I hope that you will be both encouraged because the topic today is the fellowship of the church. And you want to know something? Fellowship in the Christian church is a tremendous privilege, just like being part of any other sports team or organization, but to a much greater degree, there is privilege associated with being part of the Christian church, with being in fellowship in a Christian church. And so be encouraged. I hope you're enjoying Christian fellowship. But additionally, fellowship in a Christian church comes with much responsibility. So I hope that you'll be exhorted not only to enjoy Christian fellowship, but to engage in Christian fellowship, okay? Christian fellowship has to do with communion. It has to do uh, with companionship. It has to do with partnership. There is both privilege and there is responsibility. So be encouraged. Enjoy Christian fellowship. I hope that you are. But also be exhorted to engage in Christian fellowship. Because it's not a, this is not a bystander sport. This is not something you sit and spectate on. But the fellowship of the Christian church is active and involved. I want to read to you what one preacher said regarding fellowship in the Christian church. Christian fellowship is not a squishy experience or simply chatting at coffee hour. It is more intelligent. It is more costly. It is a deep-seated, heartfelt, soul-awakening, money-giving, gospel-supporting, time-ignoring, mind-engaging, distance-bridging experience and reality. This is true biblical fellowship. Now, I did want to give uh, just a a little brief recap. I'm not even going to go through them, but I at least want to put these up here. Um, Am I going to go forward there? If you give me a click there, I don't mind. Okay, so we are considering the church, okay? Now, we had a break last week, and as we often do when we have visitors come in, we'll deviate. So I don't want to be lost as to where we are in the topics and what, we, what we've been going through. What we've been considering is the church. These are some of the topics that we've already considered over the last several months with a few breaks in between. And last week, um, we did have uh, somewhat of a break from this, okay? Um, again, I'm not going to go through each one for the sake of time. The uh, fellowship of the Christian church has lots to it. Um, There we go. Okay, the fellowship of the church. Now, if there's one verse that I could point to that very simply kind of encapsulates the fellowship of the Christian church, it is this. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. That is to say that each of us though individuals make up one unified body. The, the head is Christ, right? And he has one singular body. That body is the church. It is you and it is me. We are all a part of the body of Christ. So, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. 
seem to be going in the wrong direction. You want to control it there for me? Okay. So we're going to consider a question in just a minute. And um, I guess you could say that I'm pretty good at answering Bible questions, so long as I'm the one that gets to ask them. And so I'm going to ask a Bible question, and it is this. Why is God's church the greatest enterprise in all of earth and throughout all of history? My question to you first before that is, do you believe this? Do you believe that God's church is the greatest enterprise at all? Listen, our culture is filled with clubs and communities and groups, right? There's there, here a club, there a club, everywhere a club, club. You can join any kind of a club you want. There's bike clubs and hunt clubs and all kind of different things. And some of these things are fine. There may be not anything wrong with them. But my question to you is, do you believe that God's church is the greatest club, so to speak, although it's much more than a club, is the greatest enterprise that has ever been in the history of mankind and ever will be going forward? It is the reality. I am fully convinced of that from the scriptures that God's church is the greatest enterprise of all. And I hope that you and me, that we all are engaging in God's church. This is the greatest club of all. Listen, we have things that can take up our time. We have things that we can uh, invest in. I know we all have different interests. We have hobbies. We have all these different things. But God's church is the greatest enterprise of all. Before I go into that question, and I'm going to give you multiple reasons as we're going to look at the scriptures as to why it's the greatest enterprise, I want to begin uh, with a thought or two from Genesis chapter 1. So before we go to that question, don't let me confuse you. I probably should have asked that question in a minute or two. Because before we go to that question, I want to ask this question. Why is it? that we long for community. As one writer said, and he coined the phrase, created for community. Created for community. Now, this is not hard for us to see, right? Because, listen, my kids came home last night from a birthday party, and the first thing that they talked about was not the cake or the activities or even the presents. But they said, we had, we made new friends. We had, oh, I met this girl, dad, you should have been there, and, and oh, it was wonderful. We're made for community. We see it in our kids. We see it in ourselves. As we said, we can go throughout the community and see it would be an awful task to try to keep people from clumping together into groups and clubs and communities. We're created for it. But why? Why is it that we long for relationship? Why is it that we long for companionship? Why is it that we long for partnership? Why is it? I want to suggest to you that the reason why we long for these things is because God is a God of relationship and companionship and partnership. And it is that God that you are created in the image of. It is that God that you and I are created in the image of. There is no explanation from Scripture as to who God is, which is perhaps the greatest topic of all, other than the triune God, that there is plurality within God, the Godhead. And so listen to these words from Genesis chapter 1. And you know them well. In fact, Ron uh, quoted these this morning during the breaking of bread service. It says this in Genesis 1 and verse 26. Then God, then God, and I am no language scholar, but many have pointed out that the word for God there 
is a plural form. Elohim is a plural form. So it is not, we translate it into God, which is true, but it is not singular in the sense of of there there, there is no plurality within it, but it is a plural form. Let me just say this too. Anytime I ever attempt to begin to walk or to speak on the waters of the triune God, I, I struggle. I struggle. As one preacher said, there is both majesty and mystery. I, I, I can only do so much justice to it. But this we know. Elohim is a plural God. And listen to what he says. Then God said, let us, plural, make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So the the Elohim, God, the plural word, said, let us make man in our image. There is no other explanation for it. We are not made in the image of angels or anything else. As one preacher said, I know that because read the next verse. So God created man in his own image. Male and female, he created them. So the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, where there is plurality among the Godhead, has created man in his own image, in this sense that we long for relationship. In fact, what does it say? So male and female, he created them. So immediately, God has taken man and placed him into a relationship. Now, some of you are Bible scholars and you say, wait a minute, Eve didn't come until Genesis chapter 2. That's correct. The detailed account of Eve didn't come until Genesis chapter 2. But in this synopsis, when God said, let us make man in our image, he created them male and female. There was immediate relationship. And then the next verse, he says this. Now go, be fruitful, and multiply. And so immediately, among mankind, we have, in this sense, a a trinity, so to speak. Not the trinity, but a trinity. Man, wife, multiplied to children. Husband, wife, children. And so God has created man in his own image. And many have aptly pointed out that the great triune God has put his fingerprint upon all of creation, upon the universe, right? That's the word that we use, the universe. One, it's, it's a, it, it is one massive entity we know made up of many parts, and many have noted that it is made up of its own trinity, time and space and matter. And so God has put his fingerprint upon mankind. Again, majesty and mystery. You say, I just can't quite wrap my mind around it. That's okay. That's okay. It is a bit beyond us. I had a wonderful quote that I wanted to read. Every once in a while, in my discussions, someone asks me how I can believe in the Trinity. My answer is always the same. I would still be an agnostic if there were no Trinity, because there would be no answers. Without the high order of personal unity and diversity as given in the Trinity, there are no answers. So why is it that we long for community? Because we do. Even the introverts long for relationship, companionship, partnership. It is because we are created in God's image, in his likeness. 
And so God has given us the greatest manifestation of it all in himself and now in the Christian church. So you and I have the ability to engage in a companionship, I should say a relationship, a companionship, a partnership that is greater than any other. And that is God's church, the Christian church. So why is God's church the greatest enterprise in all of earth and all of history? I'm going to give you, uh, if you would forward it there, one. I'm going to give you seven quick reasons, as quick as I can, because I want to go on from here. But this is extremely important to me, because I hope you will catch the vision that this is not a place to come and sit and warm a chair. It's not. We do that, yes, but it is so much more than that. God's church has is, is been been established, has been created as a body, the body of Christ. Do you realize you're a part of that? If you know him as your savior, you're a part of the body of Christ. So we are the ones that are living and moving on Christ. Remember, he said, I'm going to heaven, but I'm leaving my disciples here. We went through some of that in John 13, 14, 15, and so forth. And so we are his body that remains here. It is established on the greatest foundation. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse, I believe, 11 says this. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And this is a direct reference to the church. There are many clubs and groups and organizations and communities and all of that around the world in the world around us. They're all based upon man. Their foundation is man. When fickle and feeble and frail and infallible and, and man. And so when men fall apart, the organizations fall apart. Their foundation is upon man. But the Bible says regarding the Christian church, for other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. We just talked about this this morning, if you were here. He is the great God of heaven and earth. He is the one who inhabited eternity, yet entered into time. He is the one that died at Calvary's cross, that paid for our sins, was resurrected. None have ever done this before. He died and then he was raised to life. And he is now seated at the right hand of God in heaven. This is the foundation upon which we gather. We don't gather unto men, pastors, elders. We don't gather unto organizations or societies or anything else. The foundation of God's true church is none other than Jesus Christ himself. He is, as Ephesians 2 says, the chief cornerstone. He is the one that it all rests upon. So why is God's church the greatest entity in, in, in all of earth and history and time to come? Why? Because it's established upon the greatest foundation. Other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Number two, if you would, forward me there. It is consumed with the greatest purposes. I love this one. This morning we were here, brothers and sisters, and we were occupied with something. Occupied with praising the Savior. This is my story. This is my song. Praising the Savior all the day long. The Christian church is the greatest enterprise in all of earth and history and time to come because it is consumed with the greatest purposes. Listen, there are so many things that we can engage in. 
hunt clubs have their things and, sh- and, 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 and driving clubs and bike clubs and all these things. And, and, and I'm not condemning all that, but what I am saying is that there is something far greater. And I do believe that if we get a vision of it, if we get an understanding of the greatness of the foundation and the purpose of, uh, purposes of the Christian church, gosh, the things of earth will grow strangely dim. All of those other things will become, wow, what were those things? I, I, I've been there, and I'm not condemning you. I've been there. I still am. I, things grasp my heart. But there is nothing greater than being a part of the Christian church. So what is the purpose of the Christian church? Magnification and glorification of the Eternal One, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul would say in Philippians 1.20, So now that Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Ephesians 3.20 would say, To Him be glory in the church forever and ever. This is the purpose of the Christian church. But it goes beyond that. The purposes of the Christian church uh, go into... Uh, not only magnification and glorification, but proclamation. We get to be the ones that are proclaiming the good news. We herald the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul would say in Romans 1 and verse 16, we know it well, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Are you involved in that calling? Are you involved in that purpose? We not only magnify and glorify Him, we're out proclaiming, we're involved in the proclamation of the good news, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It goes beyond that. I'm sure your mind could go to many other things. It does involve the sanctification and edification of the body of Christ, of one another. We are all part of this flock, so to speak. We are sheep among uh, among the flock, and so we should be called, involved in seeing the, the people of God sanctified edified, built up in the holy faith. These are the purposes of the Christian church. And of course, we know it could go on and on. There are so many things. Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This is our calling among the Christian church. So, number three, if you would. It is comprised of the greatest diversity. It is comprised of the greatest diversity. You know, I was on a on a high school volleyball team. And um, we were all very much alike, in a sense. We were all young. Uh, we were all uh, male. We were all boys. We all had a zeal or a love for volleyball. We were all athletic, or at least we were supposed to be athletic. And so we had this group that was part of this team. But I want to tell you something that is just glorious about the Christian church and that is, it is comprised of the greatest diversity. I believe we heard this morning already from Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9. John says, after these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of every nation and tribe and people and tongue, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, with palm branches in their hands, clothed in white robes and crying with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. This is an incredible, incredible enterprise. Think about it for a minute. How many clubs, how many groups, how many things, how many communities can involve the masses? It doesn't matter what language you speak. It doesn't matter your ethnic background. 
It doesn't matter whether you're poor or whether you're rich. None of this matters. It doesn't matter whether you're male or whether you're female. We are all one in the body of Christ. We all can play a part in what God is doing. One of the reasons why God's church is the greatest enterprise in heaven and earth is because it's comprised of the greatest diversity. A a few weeks ago, actually a couple of months ago, we uh, went on a road trip. Just Jessica and I and our kids. Brave, I know. Five kids on a road trip. And uh, we enjoyed it very, very much. You want to know what one of the highlights of our trip was? Absolutely. One of the highlights of our trip. We visited a church there in North Carolina. And we were invited over to lunch. And uh, we had never met the people before, but the love of Christ just, you know, spilled out of them, so to speak. And so we were invited into a home, and we went there. And I could make the story very long, but I'm just going to say this. Here we sat in a home with an elderly couple, with two young ladies, unmarried, no children, and with a Syrian family, Syrian nationals. And we sat there with such a tremendous amount of love and community and unity. It is unbelievable. What do I, a father of five, my wife, an elderly couple, a Syrian family, and two young ladies, active and zealous but unmarried with no kids, what do we have in common? What could possibly give us a joyous time of unity and love? The Christian church is made up of the greatest diversity. It is Christ that binds us together. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. It is such a joy to be a part of God's church. It is comprised of the greatest diversity. As one preacher said regarding the church at Philippi, listen to this. Regarding the church at Philippi, can you imagine it? Lydia, that wealthy businesswoman standing there at the kitchen sink doing dishes after a fellowship dinner. Why not? The slave girl standing at the front of the church leading the people in a time of praise and worship. Why not? The jailer standing in the foyer greeting everyone who showed up for worship with a hug and a holy kiss. Why not? These were people from that city. What did they have in common? They had Christ in common. What a tremendous unity. God's church is the greatest entity, greatest enterprise. It's comprised of the greatest diversity. Next, it supersedes the greatest differences. If you would give me number four there, it supersedes the greatest differences. Listen, I'm going to run out of time. I can't go into this in detail, but we just heard two weeks ago, I believe, from Romans 14. You know, one person esteems one day above another. One person says, I can't eat this. Another person says, I can't eat that. All of these differences become basically nothing in Christ. When we are unified for the purposes of the gospel, for standing firm on the word of God, no doubt about it, but all of the petty differences, they become basically nothing. The Christian church, because of Christ, supersedes the greatest differences of men. I have so much I could say on that, but I'm going to leave it at that. Number five, it dispenses the greatest benefits. I hope you believe that. The Christian church dispenses the greatest benefits. Look, you can go out and join a club. There is nothing that will meet the needs like God's church. There is protection. There is provision. There is there is doctrine. There is teaching. There is rebuke when rebuke is necessary. There is help when help is needed. It dispenses the greatest benefits. Number six, it spans the greatest duration and circumstances. 
it spans the greatest duration and circumstances. We read from Revelation 5 and Revelation 7, those gathered around the throne, and they would go on praising forever and ever, forever and ever. God's church spans, you know, I think I mentioned this morning, but things come and go in life. Clubs, interests come and go. But the Christian church, God's church, spans the greatest duration and circumstances. Look, you could be laying in a hospital bed. What club could you be a part of actively while lying in a hospital bed other than God's church? What enterprise could you be fully engaged in while while being jobless or even homeless or, or, or locked up in prison? Wherever you may find yourself, This enterprise is incredible. You can be actively involved and engaged in God's church and His work. Doesn't matter what circumstances you find yourself in. Doesn't matter. You can be involved and you can be engaged in in God's church. And it goes on from both now and into eternity. And lastly, it yields the greatest rewards. It yields the greatest rewards. And that is true. There are various verses we could go to, but Matthew 6 tells us about those rewards uh, that uh, cannot be stolen, cannot be destroyed. I'm going to read you a verse from Matthew 6 and verse 19. Again, a familiar verse. I know that many of you know this, but this is what it says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. There is a tremendous opportunity, brothers and sisters, to lay up treasures in heaven. There are rewards that come with being parts of other clubs. On my high school volleyball team, we won a couple of big games, and that was wonderful. And it came and it went, and I'll never experience it again. I'm too old, I'm not good enough anymore, and whatever the case is. But in God's church, these things go on, and you have the ability to continue to invest in eternity, the greatest rewards of all. Now, I want to close with with a couple of thoughts specific to Christian fellowship. If you would forward me a slide there. Biblical fellowship, I already gave you one preacher's kind of definition or more so his, his encouragement on it. But I'm going to say that Christian fellowship, and, and there are so many things involved, but listen, it's a dynamic reality manifesting the Christian's unity in Christ and the shared realities as the body of Christ. That is somewhat of a definition of Christian fellowship. In Hastings' dictionary, when you go to fellowship, which is combined with communion, he has five long paragraphs on it. It's a dynamic thing when you look at the scriptures. But if we were to boil it down to just a couple of words, I believe it's accurate to say Christian fellowship involves, at its core, mutual sharing. Those two words in italics there, mutual sharing. So the first thing we're going to consider, go ahead, you can put that forward, is relationship. What is biblical fellowship? Well, its basis is a relationship. Its basis is a relationship. Go ahead and forward one more. This involves shared life. That is the Lord's life. Turn, if you will, to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Christian fellowship has at its core, at its basis, a relationship. A relationship. 
and, and this is shared life. Whose life? Well, it's Christ's life. I'm not hiding anything from you. I want to just state it clearly. It is the shared life of Christ. Listen to 1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Now, I hope that you followed along, but just in case, this is my understanding. John is saying... Eternal life has been manifested to mankind. Earth has seen eternal life, and it was found in a person, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And John is saying, this is the one that we've looked upon, our hands have handled, he is that eternal life. And so he says to them in verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, which is Christ, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. That's the, that's the word that we're talking about, fellowship of the Christian church, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So what John has stated here is that fellowship, one to another, is inextricably linked to fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Fellowship with one another is inextricably linked to fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So He has the, the, the eternal life has been declared. We have seen, we have handled, we have looked upon the, what's implied there. If we have received this eternal life, that's implied in the text. And we're declaring to you this eternal life because we want you to have fellowship with us. But our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. What's the point? Well, 1 John 5 says this, He that has the Son has life. He that does not have the Son does not have life. The first point that I want to make regarding Christian fellowship specifically is that it is based upon a shared life. It is based upon a shared life. Whose life? What life? Do you mean just having things in common? Like, hey, we talk about life? No, 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 no. It is based upon shared life, the life of Christ. Friends, you may be sitting here today in the church, so to speak, but not really be of the church. Being here, coming here, warming a seat, whatever you may do, whatever part you may have, fellowship has at its basis a relationship. It is a relationship that involves shared life, that is the life of Christ. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. You're not part of the fellowship, okay? So some may come and some may go. But in order to be of God's church, you must have Christ's life within you. Jesus would say to some very religious people in John chapter 5, hey, these people were, were, were religious. I mean, they did all the right things. I'm sure they went to church of some sort in the synagogue and they, they, they did religious activities. But he said this to them. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. These are they which testify of me, and you are not willing to come to me that you might have life. Friends, if you don't have the life of Christ, you're not part of the fellowship. The fellowship of the Christian church has at its basis a relationship, 
a relationship that involves shared life. That is the life of Christ. So what do I have in common with you? What do you have in common with me? At its core, it's the shared life of Christ. This is extremely, extremely important because it puts some in and it puts some out. This is the core of it. Listen, the Lord Jesus said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, 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 didn't we do all of these things? They don't all come to mind. Don't, didn't we do cast out demons and didn't we preach in all of these things? I will say, depart from me, I never knew you. If you don't have the life of Christ, he that has the Son has life. He that does not have the Son does not have life. You are not part of the fellowship of this church or the universal church if you do not share the life of Christ. Think about the imagery in the Bible. One of the most profound passages on the fellowship of the church is 1 Corinthians 12. And the metaphor that's used there is that of a body. We already read it, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 27, I believe it was. For you are the body of Christ. Many members individually making up one body. Now let me ask you a question. If we're going to use that metaphor, which is what the scripture does, how many lives does a body have? One life. One life. A body has one life. So, so if my, if my life is snuffed out, if someone were to do that, which part of me were, were to die? Well, all of it, right? All of my members are supplied by one source of life. What's the point? It is not that Christ can die. But the point is, is that we share in a common life the life of Christ. There is one life that unites us, and it is the life of Christ. We have this in common. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 9, the Apostle Paul says, God is faithful, who has called you into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ. Friends, if you don't have Christ, you're not part of the fellowship. You can come and sit here. You can you can sing the music. You can shake hands. You can enjoy coffee. Fellowship in the Christian church, this one in the universal church, is based upon the shared life of Christ. Do you have him? The Lord Jesus says that whosoever will come to me, I will in no wise cast out. Will you come to him today? He's offering to you eternal life. I am the bread of life, the Lord Jesus Christ would say. I am the bread of life. Come to him today. I want to give you one illustration of this very quickly. Thank you. Uh, does anybody know exactly what this is? Do they think? I mean, I know, you know, we know in general what it is. What do you got, Rex? Wow. So here we have a botanist, or I read another name. There's tr- there's tree lovers, too, that are called something else. These are aspen trees. This is supposed to be an image from Utah. I want to read you a little a little blurb about the aspen trees. It's a wonderful illustration. Listen to this. What we have here is a, a panorama of many different trees. They look somewhat different. But listen to what this says. One aspen tree is actually only a small part of a larger organism. A stand or group of aspen trees is considered a singular organism with the main life force underground in the extensive root system. In a single stand, each tree is a genetic replicate of the other, hence the name a clone of aspens used to describe a stand. 
The largest stand is called Pando, which is supposedly what this is a picture of, in Utah. It spans some 106 acres and 50,000 trees. What we see appears to be a massive grove of thousands of individual trees, but what it is, in fact, is one single tree, genetically the same, sharing a single root system. And when any part of that organism needs nourishment, the other parts come to its aid. I didn't write any of that, by the way, but I did write this. An unseen source of life, feeding and sustaining all of the visible trees. This is a tremendous illustration of the body of Christ. There is a source of life. We sing oftentimes, Jesus, source of life eternal. Jesus, author of all breath. There is a singular life source amidst that beautiful scene that is unseen, it is underground, and it supplies life to all of the trees there. That is an illustration of the body of Christ. We share the life of Christ. Friends, if you don't have the Son, you don't have life. You're not part of the fellowship. So, number two, and I'm going to run through these briefly. If you would go ahead and forward, you're going to need probably two clicks there, maybe three. Uh, go one more. There we go. So, biblical fellowship, the basis of fellowship is shared life. You could also say that it involves companionship. This would be the emphasis of the blessing of fellowship. And this involves shared love. We share the life of Christ indeed. We also share something beyond that, not minimizing that because that's pivotally important, but we share the love of Christ. Friends, I want to suggest to you that it's possible that you share in the life of Christ, but you're not actively sharing in the love of Christ. There is a community of love that God has created among his people. We sang this morning directly from the scriptures, Beloved, let us love one another. Let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. You could be part of the, 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 the body, so to speak. You could, you could be in, a part by the life of Christ, but not engaged in sharing in the love of Christ. Excuse me. We don't have time to go into lots of things regarding brotherly love. But I do want to say this. There is one phrase that always sticks in my mind, and I'm not pulling it out and highlighting it, but I am kind of. 1 Corinthians 13 says this. Love does not seek its own. Love. I want to give you one challenge, okay? If you're failing to feel the love of Christ among God's people, I'm going to gently suggest to you, don't be offended unless it's warranted, that you're selfish. Love does not seek its own. Listen, there's something in the Christian world where uh, where people will, oh, they talk about, oh, you've got to find a loving church. You've got to find a loving church. And we want to be a loving church, no doubt about it. But the scripture's command to you is never to go out and find a loving church. I don't find that. I even look for it here just to make sure. Is do, do we find the calling to go seek love? No, we don't. But you know what we do find? The calling to love. The calling to love. So, so, so many wander around. Oh, they were discontent. Those people, they don't love me. They're, they're not investing in me. They don't care about me. I hate to say it, but don't worry so much about that. You are called to love. A new commandment I give to you, Jesus said in John 13, that you love one another. 
that you love one another. That's the calling. So we can whine and complain about the lack of love and and shame on us if we're not a loving church. I think we are, but I shame if this body is not a loving body. But you are the body of Christ. You are. That is you. We are all part of this. So people, oh, the mentality is so wrong. They go into a church and, oh, those people, they don't love me. They don't care for me. Love does not seek its own, brothers and sisters. If you feel a lack of love among God's people, I'm gently suggesting to you, it's because you're selfish. Because love does not seek its own. And Christ Jesus has called you to love one another. That's what you've been called to do. That's what I've been called to do. So stop seeking love and display love. This is the Lord's call for us. This is a wonderful blessing of Christian fellowship. The love of Christ. Not to seek love, but to be sincere in love. 1 Peter 1.21 Not to plead for love, but ourselves to be pure in love. 1 Peter 1.21 Not to fret for love, but to be fervent in love. 1 Peter 1.21 Indeed, to be true in our love and to manifest our love in actions. 1 John one. First John 3, 18. Not to be loved, but to love. Beloved, let us love one another. This is a tremendous privilege to be part of the body of Christ and to enjoy the love of the Christians. But indeed, brothers and sisters, you are the body of Christ. It is your calling to love one another. So, as we run out of time... I'm going to go to this last one, and it's an important one. Biblical fellowship, its basis is the shared life of Christ. If you don't have the life of Christ, you're not part of the fellowship. Simple as that. But it goes beyond that. It's not just shared life, but it's shared love. There's a companionship here, and it's wonderful. We were created for communion and companionship. It's a wonderful thing, but it goes beyond that as well. I hope you're enjoying the love here among God's people. I hope that you share in the life here. But I'm going to tell you that Christian fellowship goes even beyond that. I told you it's a dynamic word. It is a dynamic reality. And it goes into what I would call partnership. And this would be concerns, you could say, the business of fellowship. What is it that we're going to be about? What have, what have we been called to? The business of fellowship. There's a shared labor among the body of Christ. I hope that you're exhorted to engage in the partnership of this fellowship. This is a major part. Let's read from Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Let's read these verses together. And forgive me for not reading many of these verses. That's not good. Ephesians 4 says this, and he himself, in verse 11, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Listen to these words, brothers and sisters. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. So here the focus is not so much the shared life of Christ, it's not so much the shared love of Christ, but it's the shared labor of Christ. This is God's work. This is his work. It's the Lord's labor. For the work of the ministry, verse 12 of Ephesians 4, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And it goes on. 
till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head. This is the goal that we would all grow up. This is the goal that we would all grow up, at least a large part of the goal, that we would all grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Listen to this, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself and love. Christian fellowship is based upon a shared life. It has a tremendous blessing as we share the love of Christ, but it goes beyond that, and there is a shared labor. There is a partnership, and this is indisputable regarding biblical fellowship. There is a partnership among the body of Christ. I'm going to repeat something I already said. I hope that you're enjoying Christian fellowship. It's an immense privilege. But I also hope that you are exhorted to engage in Christian fellowship because it's not just a privilege, it's a participation, it's a partnership. There's something in the business world called a silent partner. You ever heard of a silent partner? It doesn't mean so much that you don't speak, that you're silent. But Google's definition of a silent partner is this. One who doesn't actually share in the work of the firm. I'm going to suggest to you, in fact, I'm going to state to you clearly because the scripture is so clear, we just read it, by which every part does its share. There are not supposed to be silent partners in God's church. There are not supposed to be silent, but, but, but the reality is that God's church is filled with silent partners. Partners who enjoy the privileges of the fellowship, but they're not engaging in the participation in the partnership. They share in the life, they share in the love, but they do not share in the labor that comes with being part of God's church. I'm going to ask you today, for your own heart, What part do you play among the body of Christ? You are here. You're part of this Christian fellowship. We just read Ephesians 4, by which every part does its share. Listen, the imagery is there. It's a body. What happens when parts of your body don't do their job? It's problematic. At best, you may die. But it's problematic at best. It causes issues. The body will not, will not progress nearly as it should. It will not accomplish the things that it should be accomplishing if parts of the body are not doing their share. And so I'm asking you today, are you somewhat of a silent partner in God's church? Are you one who does not share in the actual work of the firm? Listen, This is the greatest enterprise. It's what I started with. This is the greatest enterprise in earth 
in all of earth, in all of history. There's nothing greater to be involved in but God's work. It has eternal rewards. Do you believe that? The scriptures are clear. It has eternal rewards. There is nothing so joyous as engaging. Listen, it's hard. I know that. We're quirky. We're weird. I know that. We all are. It's difficult. It comes with its struggles. No doubt about it. But but there is a sharing here that is immense. I tell you, as I studied biblical fellowship, I thought I knew what fellowship was. Thought I did, but I didn't really know what biblical fellowship was. It is a relationship based on the shared life of Christ. It is a companionship that involves the shared love of Christ. It is a partnership that involves the shared labor. Whose labor? It's not your work. It's not my work. The Lord Jesus said, I have been working until now. My Father has been working. We're part of His work. What a tremendous privilege. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for the ability to look at this tremendous, tremendous topic. I first want to say thank You. Thank You for making me part of of Your church to be brought into fellowship with You and with Your Son. And by that, I have a deep, intimate fellowship with those around me. What a joy. Father, we give you thanks. I pray that you would also help us, O God, as we seek to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in your work. O Lord, let us be a people known by love. The Lord Jesus told us that. You'll be known by your love. Let us be a people that are known by love, to be actively loving, but also actively laboring as we look around us. We know that the the work is great. The fields are white under under harvest. Help us, Lord, to catch the vision, to catch the call, to be sent out in your work. Thank you for giving us a local fellowship here, oh God, with with godly leadership that is submissive to you and seeking to to serve you. Oh Lord, help us, we pray, that every part here would do its share, that the body would be built up. Oh Lord, as we look toward next week and considering some different ideas, of how we can more effectively serve one another and serve our community. I pray that you would bless that time, that it would be for your honor and glory. Oh Lord, we don't want to deviate from the things you've called us to and from what you've written in your word. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name.